Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. What do you think? Of course, John chapter 15. So John chapter 15 in your Bibles now. We'll have our time of study. And then we'll have our time of feasting. If I was a good pastor, I'd talk about something like we're about to feast on the word first, you know, but I'm not there yet. All right, John 15, and I'm supposed to say more than turn to John 15. Once you've turned there, if you'd stand with me, and I'm going to invite up, I believe Becca is going to come to lead us in our scripture reading this morning as we're continuing to explore these powerful and practical final words that Jesus spoke to his disciples here. And again, John 15, Pat and Becca, take it away. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anything does not abide in me, sorry, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as the branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Mm. By this, my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for all you're doing as we just are speaking with you. We just thank you for your faithful, as we sang, your faithfulness and your faithful presence here with us. There's so many aspects and implications of your faithfulness, and one of those is certainly your faithfulness to minister to us what we need. As our great high priest, Jesus, you tell us to come boldly to your throne of grace. Even with all of the stuff in our lives and stuff in our hearts, even regardless of how much good or bad we've done, you say come boldly to find grace and mercy to help in our time of need. And so here's our time of need. Whether we recognize it or not, God, we are in need of something from you this morning. So together, we come as those in need of you, poor in spirit, asking you, Holy Spirit, to pour yourself out upon us, to give us what we need in you. God, would you come? Would you minister now in a powerful way? Would you stand with me up here and speak through me, um, enable my vocal cords to not give out? And also, Holy Spirit, would you be the loudest voice in the room? Tune our ears to what you're saying to us. God, we ask you to speak. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have a seat. Yeah, so I got my my water here. As you can hear it in my voice, it's a little bit up here in the nasal. Uh, On the back end of something, anybody else been battling what's been going around? It's a little something. Okay, some of you guys, uh, my daughter had it. She generously shared it with me, and so I'm not out of the clear yet. Last night, I actually, uh, last night, a cool opportunity, 
I drove up. Jordan came and hung out with me. We went up to uh, a, I went to go speak actually at a high school youth retreat last night, which was awesome. Okay. I did youth ministry for seven to eight years. And when you've done it for seven, eight years and you start turning 30 and having kids, you're like, okay, Lord, this was a good, this is a good run. Okay. This is a good run. And what's next, you know? Um, but I'll tell you what, there were so many like special memories that were just like rekindled last night being there at this high school youth retreat. I want to just say like one of the things that so blew me away was just the simple and authentic hunger that teenagers following Jesus have for God. They're not all smart and sophisticated and jaded like us who have it all figured out, who know all, and, and are just, they're just like, Jesus, you love me, and I want to love you back. It's so beautiful. Seeing the way that they engage in worship, they all come to the front of the altar. They're not concerned with who's next to them or behind them. They're just like, I'm here for you, God. Anyway, I think we have a lot to learn from them and what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It was really sweet. I was inspired myself. <clears throat> Towards the end of the message, my voice absolutely tanked. So, you know, you guys are usually kind and gracious at my preaching imperfections, right? But of Rima High School kids, they did pretty good. They didn't like shout me down or anything, but at one point I literally could not talk. I was just like, just write down what's on the screen, okay? It was cool. So anyway, let's pray that doesn't happen today. Um, all right, Bible study. Okay, John 15, <laughs> it's what we just read. This morning we are continuing. We're going to have a shorter time here today in the Word, but we're continuing our study here in John 15 that we've entitled, a series we've entitled, Abide in Me. This is a study on these nine verses in John chapter 15. This is a section of Scripture that details Jesus' final words to his disciples as he's preparing them for his departure. His hour has come. He's going to the cross. He spent three years with these guys. He's going to send them out to be his body on the earth. And right before he's leaving, it says that he loved his disciples to the very end. You know, if, if someone, that's the way that anyone passing away would love their loved ones, is preparing them for their imminent departure. It's a heavy thing, but it's a meaningful thing. I experienced this myself with the loss of, of some loved ones in my life. And Jesus is doing this. He's like, let me set you up for life without me right next to you, which they had really gotten used to and enjoyed, I'm sure. Now, here in John 15, as Jesus is preparing them for his departure, what he's doing is he's giving them a vision. Uh, he's describing his heart and hope for them. Like, these are my last words. Jesus is like, I want to just make it clear to you what my heart and hope for you is. And that was found in, that's actually found in verse 16. He tells them, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So Jesus is like, my heart and hope for you as my followers, as you go forward and take my kingdom to the ends of the earth, is that you would go forward and my heart, heart and hope is that you would be fruitful. Let me say that this is God's heart for each and every one of us. God's hope and heart for us is not that we would wither and die and dry up spiritually or even live lives of deadness, but that we would experience what Jesus called abundant life or life to the full. It's his hope and heart for you, that you would be flourishing and fruitful. So he tells them that's his heart for him, but before he does that, and he's using the analogy of a vineyard, fruitfulness, he teaches that, we saw this in one and two, that he's going to be the source 
of, first of all, that life and fruitfulness. He's the true vine. They're the branches. He's the vine. You can't be fruitful the way God created you to be if you're not branched into Jesus. When you get branched into Jesus, you get connected to the power source. Okay, It's like trying to get power to your dead iPhone by just plugging in the charger but not plugging it into the wall. All right, Jesus is the power source. And then he describes something really cool. He also teaches that his father, God, the father, is the vine dresser, the gardener who's at work in our lives, in the details of our lives, which is something we don't often think about. God's involved in your details, and he's working to make us fruitful. So already two great encouraging truths. Jesus is the source of our life. His father is at work in our life to make us fruitful. But in verse 4, where we get the namesake of our series, Jesus teaches a sobering reality. He says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit unless, that's a key word there, unless, you won't bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It seems like the point there is you're not going to bear fruit unless you do something, right? He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So this is what we talked about last week. Think about this. Even with all that we have in Jesus, even with him being our source of life that we're branched into, even with the Father as the vine dresser working in our lives, Jesus says, you still won't. Be fruitful. Even with all that, you won't, he says a very matter of fact, you won't bear fruit, even with being branched into Jesus, even with the Father working, you won't be fruitful unless you abide in me. This is what he's called us to. Just like we talk about, you know, any branch that's not connected to a, a, a tree or a vine is also not, it's going to be a twig. It's not going to bear fruit. Same is true of a Christian that's not remaining in God. Now, this word abide that he uses, we talked about this last week too. It's important to know. Some Greek, we're going to study some Greek here. It's used 10 times in this passage. That's a lot of times to say the same thing, isn't it? Like 10, I was saying last night, I was teaching similar content here to the youth. And I was like, I don't think I've ever said anything 10 times in a row. In my life, maybe I have. Actually, yeah, I have children. <laughs> stop, stop, please, please. And maybe please. If I've said anything 10 times, it's probably please. Or maybe Lord have mercy, one of the two. Now, now Jesus 10 times in this section is emphasizing the need for us to be abiding Christians. The need for you and I to be abiding people. Now, what does it mean to abide? In the Greek, it's the word meno. Can you say that? Say meno. Okay. Let's try it again. Say meno. There it is. I love it. This word in Greek literally means to remain in him. You've come to him, but have you remained in him? You've come to him. He invites you to come to me. If you've never come to Jesus, by the way, that, that door is wide open. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me. But after you've come to him, he says, now remain in me. Stay in me. Dwell in me. My favorite definition, make your home in me. That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is not an Airbnb that you visit every now and then on a Sunday. He's a person to live from. He's talking about relationship. And in the weeks to come, we're going to work out the details of this. Three areas that we want to make our home in. Three areas of Jesus. We want to make our home in his presence. We want to live from what I'll call an awareness 
of his thereness. The week after, we're going to talk about abiding or making our home in his word, living from what he's said. And the last week, we'll talk about making our home in his love. Uh, But this morning, on Community Sunday, we're going to pause and look at a different concept. This morning, in light of abiding, in light of, of course, Community Sunday, I want to teach from this idea of abiding together. Making our home, dwelling in, remaining in, staying in Jesus collectively, together. If there's a main point that we want to communicate today, it's this idea that we must not, we must not reduce abiding in Jesus to merely an individual thing. But we must understand Jesus' call for us to abide as a call to a community experience, a community endeavor. So much so that we, we need to understand that when Jesus looks at you, he looks at me, he looks at his disciples, and he says to them, abide in me. He's saying, come do that together. And there's no other version of this, by the way. There's no such thing as I abide in Jesus and bear fruit by myself. It doesn't exist in even Christ's own framework of abiding. Uh, three C words. That, that, that communicate this in this text. First, we see this in the context. The context of the call to abide is Jesus speaking to his people, not a person. He's speaking to his people. So the context of this invitation is John 15, 8, where Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Notice this. He doesn't say, so that you'll be a disciple. No, the context is speaking to his disciples. You'll be my disciples. So the context of the invitation to abide is collective, not individual. Another way to say this is the call to abide is not spoken to disciples necessarily individually, but it's spoken over them collectively. The next thing we can look at is the content of this invitation. There's the context, which is spoken to a community of people, but in the very content of the words that Jesus is saying here in John 15, there is collective invitation content. He says in verse uh, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. In verse 17, he says, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love. Or he talks about how the fruit of abiding is going to be their love for one another, which, which is just amazing. So Jesus basically in the content of what he's talking about here, he's like all of abiding should look more like how you live in community. This is foreign to our Western individual understanding of discipleship, which is just, we, we could think about being a Christian is just becoming more like Jesus, me and him, what I, you know, liking what I see in the mirror. But you cannot become like Jesus in isolation. All that he's making you to be happens in community and it's for community. And so we can't remove the collective communal call to follow Jesus. The very content here is Jesus is like, abide in me so that you'll bear fruit. Not for you to go, oh, I love how holy I am. No, so that you would love others better. In fact, being formed into the image of Jesus is to be formed into a person of love. There's communal elements to the content. And lastly, let's just talk about the concept that Jesus is using. The concept that he's using to talk about abiding is the concept of a vineyard, right? I mean, this is the concept. He tells them in verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Most of us don't spend our weekends in vineyards, typically. Some of you guys do. You're like, what are you talking about, bro? Napa Valley is my home. Now, 
<clears throat> but here Jesus is speaking of something really relevant and familiar to these disciples, right? There were vineyards all over Israel, and that's what he's pulling from. And the key word here, when he says, I'm the vine, he doesn't say, I'm the vine and you're a branch. That's not what he says. Look at the, look at the concept. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. The picture there is that of a vineyard. So the call to abide is not a call to have a you and Jesus thing where you connect to him and you do your own fruit thing over there in a field by yourself. <laughs> the concept itself is a collective image. Um, here, this is what I found this in the New Testament. This is really interesting. You know, Paul, one of the ways that Paul describes the church, there's many ways that Paul describes us as a community all throughout the Bible, that we're the bride of Christ, that we're the body of Christ, we're the flock of God. But I love this in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul describes his ministry to the church um, as ministry to a vineyard. It's really cool. Now, he uses three analogies for church. Um, I think the one at the bottom we're familiar with, like one who tends a flock. Like, okay, we're used to that idea of imagery. Until you plant a church, you don't realize how relevant this is, that planting a church is like going to war. I read that, I'm like, I feel you, Paul. So I just love that. Paul's like, here's a ministry. It's like tending a flock. It's like going to war. It's like being on the front lines of battle in a lot of ways with a lot of different forces, human and non-human. But then he says ministry is a lot like planting a vineyard. Isn't that cool? So, so Paul likens the church to being this vineyard. So, so the imagery here, and I want you to see this clearly, is that when Jesus calls you and I, to abide in him. There has to be a personal relationship with Jesus for that to be a thing. But that personal relationship is not a private relationship. A personal relationship with Jesus happens in the context of community. we got to abide together. Amen? We need to abide together. Now, one of the strongest, strongest, Biblical principles of this is in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm chapter 92. The book of Psalms was the songbook of Israel. And in Psalm chapter 92, the psalmist is writing a Sabbath day psalm. It's his day off to rest and just be with God. And he has a psalm, and he's singing to God about how good God is. And then at one point in the psalm, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, this has certainly happened to me, as you look out on the world and you are trying to make sense of the world and your theology. You know what I mean? It's like, here's my theology, but then here's the world, and I'm like, okay, how did this work together? Well, the psalmist is doing that, and he, and, and he has his own ideas about those that are supposed to be flourishing. You know? It's like, who, who's supposed to be living the blessed life? Who's supposed to be thriving and fruitful and flourishing? And, and he, he has this theology of that, but he looks out into the world, and he sees what he calls the wicked flourishing. And he's like, what's happening? I thought the righteous are blessed. I thought the righteous flourish. What, what, and you, we've all had that question. You know, the popular question is, why do, good thing, why do bad things, sorry, why do bad things happen to good people? But like the harder question is, why do good things happen to bad people? Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, and David's wrestling with that. He's like, why are they blessed? Why are they? And he's wrestling with this. 
This is Ecclesiastes, that the formula doesn't always work, that sometimes you're like, what is going on? Why are good things happening to that person just continually? And as he's recognizing this and processing this with God, because the presence of God is not a place to bypass your emotion, it's a place to process your emotion. And as he's processing that with God, he starts to speak to himself a reality. He goes, yeah, they're flourishing for now. That's what he says. Things look good now on the exterior, but God knows the heart, God knows the roots, and God knows the timeline of that fruitful tree. And there's just a truth to that, that a life without God can have spurts and seasons of happiness, but for the kingdom of God to change your life is to have lasting fruit. And so he says this. This is an interesting comment that he makes in Psalm 92. He says this. He declares that Unlike the wicked who will flourish for a season or a moment, he says, it's really only the people of God. The righteous, he says, shall flourish like a Boca Raton Meisner Park palm tree. I love that. It's in the Greek. It says, doesn't say that. He says, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. It's also, it's written in Hebrew, so to say it's in the Greek doesn't make sense. Anyway, he makes a declaration. Isn't that beautiful? He says that eternal flir- eternal flourishing, temporary flourishing can belong to anyone. Play your cards right. Run your business right. Navigate relationships right. Read the next self-help book on your list. Ten rules for this, that, and the other. But eternal flourishing belongs to the righteous. He then goes on to say this. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. This is our hope and our destiny, by the way. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I can't tell you how many, how many friends I started doing ministry with. I can't tell you because there's so many. Um, I can tell you the small number of people I'm still doing ministry with. Because there's just something about the journey of life to abide in Jesus to end up on the other end. Like that's, that's my vision. It's like I'm glad that we've started a church. But the question is, like, God, I've started a race. Am I going to finish the race? That's what I really care about. I don't care about a bunch of great things happening and then my kids end up seeing a dad, another dad who crashes and burns. We've got to have a vision for this. I've I also seen it's really popular. This is off the record. This is not in my notes, but I just had this thought. I've noticed it's really popular, especially for Christian parents who rear their kids out of high school into college. I've noticed it's really common for those kinds of parents to take a back seat in their relationship with Jesus and to go, I've put in my time. I've be-. But it's like, no, that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is you move on from season to season, from God thing to God thing. And it's, and it's, it's not less flourishing, it's more flourishing. So you have more to give potentially now than you ever had. So we begin to change our vision of flourishing into what God has. To have a vision of bearing fruit in old age. A life of flourishing. Now here's the principle. I want you to notice this. There is right sandwiched in the middle there. A key to flourishing. The psalmist says, listen closely. That the degree of your flourishing both now and forever, both now till old age, is going to be directly connected, listen, to the depth of your plantedness in the house of the Lord. He says this, those who are planted will flourish. It's an interesting concept. He's describing a person's relationship to the people of God, 
to the family of God, the house of God. When you think house, don't think building, think household. Those who are planted in the household, in the family of God. There's something here in scripture that we see echoed throughout the pages of a flourishing life in Jesus. Like a real flourishing life, not a temporary one, not not even one that looks kind of good on the outside. But a life that is deep and truly fruitful and flourishing is on the other side of deep and true community being planted in the house of the Lord. You will only really be as fruitful as you are planted in the house of the Lord. As you're, how you approach community will dictate the fruitfulness of your life at the end of the day. So here's a question for you to ask yourself this morning. It's Community Sunday. We're talking about abiding together. Here's my question to you. Are you planted? Are you a planted Christian, what's the nature of your relationship to the house of the Lord, to the people of God? Is it, is it defined like this here in Psalm 92? Does your life look like someone who has put their roots down in community? You're planted. That's the idea. Now, one of the, a helpful way to think about this is, maybe you've heard of this, is the... Uh, the contrast between spiritually being, I like this, planted or potted. You go, yeah, I'm planted. Are you? Why? I go to church here. Okay. It's been helpful to think there's a difference between being planted and being present but potted. See, when you're planted, your roots go in deep. You're, you're known and you seek being known and you're there to serve one another and your life is truly rooted in community with others. When you're potted, you look fruitful and you are present, but you're holding back. And by holding back, can I tell you, like you're certainly hurting your brothers and sisters in Christ because you are holding your gifts and all that God's done in your life that's for others in the room, but you're ultimately hurting yourself. To approach community with people at arm's length, the people that God calls your family, is to limit what God wants to do in your life. I have a picture here of, this is perfect for me, because I've got two plants in my backyard. One of them's planted, and like most of my plants, the other's potted. Not potted because we got a nice pot for it, but because we haven't planted it yet, (laughs) okay? And they are, like, listen, I'm not a, Plantologist. Arborist, is that the word? I'm not a guard, I'm not a vine dresser, okay? But what's the word? Help me out. We don't know. Verticulturist? Okay. Okay. Remember I talked about being gracious toward my preaching imperfections? This is a good time for that, okay? When I don't know basic English words. <laughs> Check us out. I've got two plants. They're, they're not the same exact tree. They're of the same family. Uh, this is um, a fishtail palm that we have to get more privacy from our neighbors. Don't judge my yard. I haven't mowed it in a little while, okay? You're just judging so hard right now, okay? Listen, this is, I want to, by the way, I want to model true community to you, okay? I didn't, I didn't mow my lawn before this photo. I'm like, hey, I'm being vulnerable and honest, okay? Can you receive that? There's a dead branch there. I know. I need to pressure wash my fence. Stop. <laughs> So this is a fishtail palm that we planted in the ground there. There's not even any mulch around it. I know it's bad. Stop judging it, okay? Just let the sermon illustration change your life. Um, (laughs) 
we planted this tree less than two years ago. And when we got it, it was a quarter of the size. Now, I want, I want, you, I want to show you a similar tree that we bought six months ago. Okay? <laughs> this tree is still green, somehow. It's still, it's on life support, but it's, it's still alive. But it hasn't developed a single inch. Its growth has been stunted because it's unfortunately been reduced to a potted life. Once this thing goes in the ground and is planted, it will flourish. It will properly become all that it's intended to be. What about you? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. What, what, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, what do I want, God? Do I want control more than I want you? Do I want to protect my image more than I want you? Do I want my way more than I want yours? Do I want God what's easy rather than taking up my cross and following you? you just, sometimes you just got to be honest and go, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there needs to be more room for us to just be honest about what's keeping us from the things of God so that we can renounce them as we call them out. So we can progress further as we call out the things holding us back. Are you today planted or are you potted? Let me close with this final thing. I want to give us, in light of a vision for this, I hope you're stirred today to be more than a potted believer. I hope you recognize the gift and the beauty that has been given to you through the gospel to be welcomed into the family of God. You've been given a seat at the table. And you got that seat the same way anybody else did. Nobody gets a seat at the table because they're there first. Nobody gets a seat at the table because they're righteous enough. We are all those who shouldn't have been invited to the party. And yet Jesus extends his hand. He opens up a seat. He says, come on in, sit down. You're welcome. You're welcome in my family through what my son has done for you. He gives you a place in the family. He calls us to a life that's lived from that place of making our home in Jesus together, planted or potted. Let's close with this. What are, I just want to answer this question, give us some handles. It's always good to go for more than just conceptual. Let's just get practical here as we close. In a second, we're going to practice being planted together. We're going to eat food together. We're going to be a community, hopefully move closer in our knowledge of one another. But I want to ask this question. I want you to think about this and consider some things here about this question. I want to ask, what is required for us, Solus Church? Here we are. What is required for us to become a community of, a pl of planted disciples that are abiding in Jesus together? Like, what is it going to take, and notice the key word there, of us. You have a part to play in who Solus is becoming. There's a culture we're creating here, for better or for worse. What is going to be required for us, collectively and individually, therefore collectively, to become a community of disciples that are abiding in Jesus together, planted disciples. Let me submit a couple key things. I think the first thing that's needed is you need a sense of personal conviction. This was a big theme on my heart when the Lord called us to start this church. And the theme was, in ministry, you have to do your part, but you cannot do God's part. He works on the heart we preach and teach and love and lead from our hearts. At the end of the day, your depth of involvement and community will just flow from your conviction of your need for it. 
And I can't give you the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Only, only the Holy Spirit can do that. My goal each week is to preach in such a way that the Holy Spirit does cut to your heart and convict you. And you go, I need to align my life with God's. That's not something I can do. That's something that we, we could have. I mean, you guys see how many connect group leaders the Lord has brought to our church? We could have a connect group for every and any season of life and day of the week and frequency, whatever study you want. We can meet all your, the question at the end of the day is not so much what's provided, it's what's your conviction first and foremost. There has to be conviction. I love this. This is Paul's motto of ministry. And I, I'm like learning to adopt this in, in learning the difference between loving and laboring with someone and striving. Sometimes that's hard to know. Do you know what I mean? Okay, am I striving for something that I need to give to God or am I laboring in love? Sometimes it's a hard balance to find. But I love this mindset of Paul. He's talking to the church in Philippi. Sorry, I don't know why it's funny because I just think it's so awesome. He's like, therefore, let us, as many as mature, have this mind. I feel like that way sometimes. I'm like, I teach this, and it's like, hey, this is what the Bible says. Agree with it if you're mature enough. <laughs> He's like, as many as mature, like, take it or leave it. It's what God says. He's like, I'm, I'm teaching this. And he goes, if any of you think otherwise, you're like, no, I don't agree with being in community. He's like, all right, well, God will reveal it to you. <laughs> I love that perspective. He's like, at the end of the day, I think we have put too much emphasis on Christians depending on pastors and churches for things. And we've put less emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. You need less from the church often than you think. You need more sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to do what he's called to do. And I'm not talking about people that are in need. And you have the, no, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about what, Paul, uh, what John says where he's like, you don't even need a teacher. You have the Holy Spirit. And how much of that is true in your life where you are an actual disciple following and listening to what Jesus is saying? So you, you need personal conviction. This is where it starts. Like, there's no twisting your arm into community. There is, though, the Holy Spirit getting you to the point where you realize, and here's the key thing that you have to come to realize, you will only end up planted in the house of the Lord if you truly believe. Not just that you should abide in community but that you can't abide alone. You have to come to that point. You have to realize something by the power of the Holy Spirit that realizes this. Here's a key idea. You have to come to a point where you realize that God, listen to this, has willed for you to need some things from others that you can't get on your own. No matter how great your quiet time is, no matter how smart you are, how much of the Bible you know. And I just want to say, like, eventually it becomes obvious that that's your approach. When you're in a church that's hungry for community and you're just a know-it-all, it starts to show. It starts to wear itself. Your lack of conviction starts to wear itself. But I don't want us to be a people that stand out in that weird way. I want us to be a people, by the way, you're all welcome here, weird or not, but I want us to be a people that lives from this humble acknowledgement together that there's just some things I need that I can't get on my own. There's some things, here's a, here's a list. There's some things that I need to see I won't ever see on my own. Newsflash, you have blind spots. Newsflash, you need people to speak truth into your life. It's not for your harm, it's for your help. If you love and trust them. There's things you can't see. You need others to show you what you can't see. No, not me. I see it all. I know it all. No, you don't. You have major blind spots, as do I. Listen, you need others to become who God's called you to be. You can't be who God's called you to be by yourself. You can't be formed in a person of love and isolation. There are things you need to know and learn. 
that there's no, that the community is the only teacher for, and there is no substitute. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, when you get into community, you learn to love all different kinds of people that you would just avoid otherwise if you'd have it your way. So there's things that you need to learn. There, there's a, there's the, the biggest goal God has for your life is not your happiness, it's your conformity to the image of Jesus. And he puts you in community to get more of that. It's a community project. And let me say this, this is where the heart, I think, really is, is, is important here. There are things that you are not intended to bear on your own. Well, what are you talking about? I'm the provider of my family. I'm the leader of my family. I bear. The best of man is man at best. Is man at best. And Paul tells the church to bear one another's what? Burdens. You can't bear it. You're not supposed to. Communities for that. So we need a level of personal conviction to realize these things. Let me say another thing that we need. I'm just going to call some things out here in love. Um, just some exhortations here. We also need a certain level of purposeful connection, okay? Purposeful connect. What's required for us to be a community of people that are planted in Jesus together as disciples? You need conviction, okay? So you got to know you need it in the deepest parts of you, you know, which makes you kind of want it. But we're not formed by our desires. We're formed by our disciplines. Did you hear that? You're not formed by what you want at the end of the day. You're formed by what you do. You're formed by your patterns and your approach and your habits. And I can't tell you, I've been a pastor here now just for six years. I can't tell you how many people have come to Seoul saying, I want community. It's like, no, you don't. You love the theory of community. We all love the theory of community, don't we? We all value the theory. But community in practice is hard. No one talks about that. Really, when people, like, now when people are like, I want to be in community, it's like, okay, so you want to do life with really messy, difficult people. Gotcha. By the way, you're one of them. Me too. So, so there's got to be more than this consumer mindset of I need, like, what are we doing? Don't bring that American consumerism into this church. This is the house of God. This is Jesus' church. And what he calls us to is a certain level of pursuit in community. I'm leaving that church where I just didn't have any community. There was no community. Did you pursue it? Did you look for it? Or were you sitting around waiting for your Amazon Prime delivery of community to show up at your door? Pursue it. Look at the call that the church has in Romans 12. Be kindly, like, you know, if we, we can really make the Christian faith really simple. You know what we do? We just read the Bible and we're like, let's do this. You know what I mean? Not just, I know, like, let's do this stuff. <laughs> so here's what Paul's like. Here's what we should do. Be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. What if you started going, I'm, I'm not going to think about you connecting to me. I'm going to connect to you. I'm going to give preference to your needs. I'm going to pursue you. It's amazing how much community and connection you'll find when you pursue it yourself. When you seek to be to someone else what you want from them. Don't lag in diligence. Sometimes we can just lag in spiritual diligence. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continue steadfastly in prayer, distribute to the needs of the saints, be someone who's given to a life that's open to strangers. Be someone that's given to hospitality as Jesus was. Purposeful connection is so vital in our journey to be a people that are planted in the house of the Lord.
Um, one of the best books I've ever written and could ever recommend on the topic of community in the church is the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Pastor missionary in World War II in Germany. Whole journey of his life. The biography on his life by Eric Metaxas is unbelievable, by the way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a story about Christians living in community during the Holocaust, living in community during World War II. And one of the most profound things that came out of that book was this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's what he says. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. That is a grenade in the American church, isn't it? I am so sick of hearing people talk about their dream for for community for years on end without any purpose and pursuit toward loving the people right next to them. Community starts with you engaging with that other person in the room that you're struggling to love. And that's the difference. Dietrich's like, that's going to be the difference. My boy Dietrich's like, that's the difference as to whether or not we're going to be a bunch of people that just come in with the weight of our expectations and destroy a church versus become who God's called us to be. Maybe an amen to that? It's a hard amen, I know. I want to close with this last one. I'll bring the band up here um, and Kyle in a moment to lead us in the communion table. We started a little bit later today, so I appreciate your patience for this last point. The last thing I think that's needed for us to become a people that are planted in community, more than personal conviction, beyond next purposeful connection, I've got to go out of my way and pursue it myself. More than just having a dream of it, I've got to love the people around me. But I also ultimately need a level of practical commitment. Anything worthwhile in the kingdom of God requires commitment. Requires time. Requires not just showing up to church on time. That would be sweet. If we were on time, that would be sweet. We'll try that too. But it requires consistency of presence and commitment and perseverance through the ugly stuff. That's where the beautiful stuff is found. On the other side of superficial, God bless you, brother. Good to see you, grace and peace. But through the trenches, look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul's like, I'm in jail, I'm dying for some community. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. This is God's calling for your life, you and me, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, we're called to bear with one another in love. Look at this word that they literally named a spaceship after, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Sometimes ending up on the other side of deep and true community is like a shuttle mission to the moon. It's an endeavor. It's not an overnight thing. It's an overtime thing that requires just continually showing up, especially when you don't feel like it, especially when you're tired, especially when you're tired of some things. And especially when you go, I don't see the fruit yet. Well, our, our goal is to have our eyes on Jesus and do what he's called us to do and trust him for the fruit. Amen? So here's the call. To be a community of people that aren't just potted. We want to be a community of people that are planted together in Jesus. We need a certain level of personal conviction. We need a certain level of purposeful connection. And there needs to be a depth of practical commitment. Where we say, hey, I'm messy too. Let's follow Jesus together.
through the mess, through the difficult. Community is valued but often neglected because it's hard, messy, painful. Here's another one, disappointing. People are disappointing, right? But true life is found on the other side of that. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Amen? I hope you're encouraged by this word. I don't intend it to beat you down or bash you. I intend it to call you up to more that God has for you in love. And so what a, what a great way to wrap this up. No better way than for us as a community to come together to the communion table. Amen? So I'm going to invite Kyle. He's going to come up and transition us to a time of reflection of the bread and wine.